0: The following message is by Pastor Brandon Dyer of Windsor Christian Fellowship. For more information on our church, visit www.windsorchristianfellowship.org.
1: Well, this morning I'd like to ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 8. Matthew 8, we're going to be looking at the King's authority over His creation. This past week, I was standing in our kitchen area, Uh, while I listened to Bethany teach our daughter, Nora, about the first created people, Adam and Eve. And she taught that God had created them. She taught that they lived with God. And then how they had disobeyed God and eaten the forbidden fruit and all the rest, all the story that you and I know so well. But it was so interesting to hear the story laid out you know, part by part for the first time to a young child. And you know, as I was listening to that, and as the day progressed, it it began dawning on me that we are raising our daughter, and you are raising your children, you are raising your grandchildren, to believe some pretty incredible things. Particularly when we consider what the world thinks about a lot of what we believe. The Bible is filled with incredible accounts. I mean, it, it even begins in the very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that goes completely against so much of what we have been taught in schools. And then you keep on going to things like Noah's flood, or when Moses parted the Red Sea, or the people of Israel walking around a city named Jericho and all the walls came tumbling down, right? You have stories like Jonah and the fish. You're telling me that a fish actually swallowed a man and he lived in there for three days? You think of all the healings that we've seen Jesus do even in the book of Matthew. Eventually he ends up raising a dead man back to life. He himself is God in the flesh and he goes into a grave and he comes back to life as well. We believe so many things within God's word that are truly unexplainable. Accounts that we read and and we say the only explanation, the only possible explanation for this happening in the Bible is God. And in this morning's passage, we have this kind of account. We have one of those incredible, unexplainable stories where the only explanation and the only thing that should be in our minds upon reading it, and what I hope is burning in your mind when you leave after we finish walking through this passage, is God. God has done this. Look with me at Matthew 8, beginning of verse 23. And we got, when he got into the boat, when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So, in the beginning of our New Testaments, we have four books that begin the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered the synoptic gospels. They're the, the prefix, S-Y-N, sin. They're together. They have a lot in common. They have a lot of the same stories and all of that. And then the book of John kind of stands alone as its own thing. has different accounts of Jesus and tells in a, in a different way. But what's interesting about these first three gospels... Is that although they talk about the same story, a lot of the same stories, they all write in different ways. They all wrote a little bit differently. For instance, today's account that we just read is found in Mark and Luke. But the stories are relayed a little bit differently. Mark has this account, and yet it's told in a a far more embellished way. There's a whole lot more conversation. There's just a whole lot more surrounding the story as it's told in the book of Mark. But as in our uh, text that we looked at in Matthew, it's a whole lot shorter. It's really only about four or five verses telling the story that, that Mark goes on to embellish a whole lot more. But I like this about Matthew. He's not really prone to embellishing. He's not really prone to just making a a big, grand fish story. He's wanting to get to the point. That's really Matthew's point as he's going through and writing. He wants to get to the point. He wants you to leave. Okay, that's the account. That's the story. But you need to have the full point. And Matthew is very good at making sure that that is abundantly clear. So although the account is brief, he is sure to highlight the important facet of the story, namely the authority of Jesus over his creation. You remember back to the last week or two when Jesus has come off of preaching the sermon on the mount. And so he comes and then he does some healings. You remember when he healed the leper and he healed different people. And then last week we looked particularly at when a scribe came to him and a disciple came to him. And the scribe said to him, teacher, I'll follow you anywhere you go. And Jesus basically simply says to him, well, I don't even have a place to lay my head tonight. Are you sure you want to follow me? And then there was a disciple that came to Jesus and said, Lord, let me first bury my father, and then I will follow you. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. Basically, these two men have been turned away. But Jesus has had a full several days teaching the Sermon on the Mount, multiple, multiple healings, discussions with many people. And so he commands his disciples to ready a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. And so here they are. They've readied the boat. They've gotten into the boat. The boat is going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee into Gentile territory, basically getting away from the crowds, giving Jesus and his disciples a chance to rest, pulling away so that they can rest a while. But again, I want to note and highlight the fact that the disciples got into the boat with him. The scribe and the disciple didn't get into the boat with him before they they went off. But the disciples got in the boat with Jesus, They, they were green. They, they had issues. They had problems. They had struggles. But they still got into the boat with Jesus nonetheless. They were his followers and they obeyed him. But little did these fishermen know that this was going to be the boat ride of a lifetime for them. Look with me at verse 24. And behold, or suddenly, without warning, there arose a great storm on the sea, So that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Now many of you have probably maybe heard a sermon on this passage or one of the other ones that talk about the Sea of Galilee. And you know that the Sea of Galilee is well below sea level. So what ends up happening, and the geographic situation uh, that it's in, what ends up happening is squalls end up flaring up pretty quickly in the Sea of Galilee. It produces storms without really any notice. And so this is what is occurring right now on this sea. But we see even with the language here that Matthew uses, that this was not a normal storm on Galilee, but it was a great storm, it says. Or other translations say that it was a, a furious storm, or a violent storm, or that the sea was concussing. It was just a violent, big storm. So now we, we all live in this coastal state. Some of us come back in the summertime. But we all live or are from this coastal state or this area. And so you all have seen probably big storms. You've seen the sea get whipped up, whether it's by a hurricane that comes up from the south or whatever. You've probably seen a lot of storms. But here on this sea, this boat was just being thrown about, tossed to and fro. It was filling with water. The text says that it was swamped by water. The wind was howling. The thunder was clapping. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. He's sleeping. I think it's funny, a lot of times when you look at this passage or you're reading through it, I think a lot of us are a little more impressed that Jesus is sleeping on the ship instead of when he gets up and stills the winds and the waves. It's kind of funny how that works. But if you're tracking with me and you're thinking of other parts of the Bible as we look at this passage, there should be another account that comes to mind that includes a great storm, a boat, and a sleeping man. The story of Jonah. Remember that Jonah had disobeyed the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, Go to Nineveh. Preach against the great city of Nineveh. And, and tell them about God. And basically there was a great revival that ended up happening. But you remember in, in, in the initial part of the story, Jonah disobeys God. Right? We all kind of know the songs. We all know the Sunday school lessons. But Jonah gets onto the boat to go the opposite way to a place called Tarshish, right? And so you have Jonah who is sinful and disobedient to God. And then this storm ends up brewing. And then Jonah is off asleep in the belly of the boat. And so what ends up happening is they come and wake him up and say, pray to your God. And Jonah basically says, you know, just throw me overboard because I know that if I go overboard, this sea is going to calm. And upon throwing Jonah overboard, the text says, and the sea ceased from its raging. So that's what happened with Jonah. We see the situation with Jesus here sleeping on the boat on this night. He was not sinful or disobedient in any way at all. Instead, he's the perfect God, man. So to throw Jesus overboard wasn't going to do the trick. To throw Jesus overboard wasn't going to calm the seas. So the storm is raging. The boat is filling with water. Jesus is sleeping. And the disciples, to put it frankly, are freaking out. Look at verse 25. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We are perishing. I want to remind you who these disciples would have been. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes along to people who are mending their nets to fishermen and says, follow me. So they're presumably good at what they do. At the very least, these fishermen would have known the Sea of Galilee. They would have known its tendency to have squalls pick up pretty quickly. They would have certainly at least had their sea legs. And so... They knew their storms, they knew this sea, and yet they go up and wake a a son of a carpenter up to help them out on this sea. You would imagine it would be the other way around, that the fishermen would be taking care of things for Jesus, but they go to Jesus instead, the son of a carpenter. But they knew that Jesus could do something. They had seen Jesus already do some incredible things. They had seen him heal lepers. They had seen him teach with incredible authority. They had seen him exercise demons out of people and do all of these unexplainable things. And so they come to Jesus and they say, save us, Lord. We're perishing. And so Jesus wakes up. He's obviously exhausted. And yet he doesn't react to the storm at all like the disciples do. You don't get... You don't see Jesus get up and be all worried about the storm. In fact, Jesus' initial concern has nothing to do with the storm and everything to do with the fear and the lack of faith on the part of the disciples. So he doesn't wake up, deal with the storm, and then give his disciples a little pet talk. He wakes up, he deals with his disciples, and then he deals with the storm. Look at what he says in verse 26. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Jesus calls them out. They're scared. The storm caused them fear like all of us surely would have been afraid as well. But more than that, what this storm was doing and what Jesus knew it was doing for them was that the storm was revealing the lack of faith on the part of the disciples one commentator said this, trials uncover the weakness of a believer's faith but are occasions for growth. So this storm was certainly a trial for these disciples, but it revealed the truth about them. They lacked faith. They had little faith. God in the flesh here, he's sleeping on the boat with them and they are afraid and they lacked the faith in the one who was with them. You know, before we get a little too hard on the disciples before we give them a hard time over their response and lack of faith, we need to take stock of ourselves. That God allows trials into our lives, and we need to be sure that as those come into our lives, we need to be sure to be taking stock of what's going on with our faith. It's not as though things are much different between us and the disciples. They had the physical presence of Jesus with them. We have the spiritual presence of Christ with us. And when the trials come to our lives, there are two things that we have to keep in mind. And two things that these disciples weren't keeping in mind. First, Christ is present with you. When you're going through a difficulty, that is often the first thing that flies from our minds. When the trial comes, the first thing that we start to think about is self-reliance. Just start to think about how we can get ourselves out of a difficult situation. But the second thing that we need to consider is a question. Is our faith firmly planted in Christ? So first, Christ is present with us. Remember that. But the second thing, ask yourself, is our, our faith firmly planted in Him? Christ is present with every believer. All of those here, if you trust in Christ, He is present with you. He resides within you. So what is there to fear? Jesus is totally trustworthy. He gives us no reason ever to hesitate when it comes to putting our faith and trust totally in Him. So as the trials come, remind yourself of the presence of Christ. And as the trial uncovers your lack of faith, which it always does, allow the trial to grow your faith in the One who is always present with you. So after dealing with His disciples, Jesus gets up and He rebukes the winds and the waves like they are a small child. Mark's gospel says that Jesus gets up and he says, peace be still, or quiet be still. And what happened that night was unlike anything the disciples had ever seen on the Sea of Galilee. The waves stopped their waving, the wind stopped blowing, the thunder stopped clapping, the rain stopped pouring, all within the blink of an eye. It just happened upon the word of Christ. The text refers to the storm as a great storm, but then it refers to the storm as a, or as the calming, as a great calm. It was perfectly tranquil. Now who would have this kind of authority but God himself? We have to keep in perspective the mindset of these disciples. They're still figuring Jesus out. Their faith is small. They're still pretty new to him. But if you had asked them before they got into the boat on that night, who in the world or who could calm the seas with a word? Well, they would have said God. Maybe their mind would have flashed back to the Psalms. That like Psalm 89 where it says, You rule the raging sea when its waves surge, you still them. Or Psalm 107. He stilled the storm with a murmur and the waves of the sea were hushed. Psalm 65. You silence the roar of the seas. All of which is to say that the great calm that happened on the sea on this night was the result of God. The God who was in the boat with them. John chapter 1 says about Christ. Through him. All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. The winds and the waves recognized the voice of their maker. Look at verse 27 with me and see the disciples' response. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? They marveled. The word is... Amazo, it means to marvel or to be astonished. Their fear had changed. The fear that they had over the storm and what was going on with the storm, the great storm that they were in, had changed. They had gone from being fearful to now being astonished. And they were asking the question, the questions going on around on the boat that night. They're saying, what sort of man is this? And they will learn the answer to this question soon in another adventure on the water where Jesus walks on the water and he gets into the boat and the disciples worship him and say, truly, you are the son of God. But on this night, they were not there yet. This is an incredible passage where both the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus are on full display. John Christostom wrote that Jesus' sleeping showed he was a man. His calming of the seas declared him God. But it's over this nature of Christ that the disciples are perplexed about, trying to understand what sort of man is this. But in the passage that we're going to be looking at next week, we're going to see that although the disciples were unsure about Jesus and who exactly he was, the demons that they encounter in verse 29 are perfectly sure of who he is when they refer to him as the Son of God. But my question to you is this morning is who do you say that he is? What sort of man is Christ to you? What sort of man is this Christ that even the winds and the waves obey him as soon as he gives the command? So if you're an unbeliever here this morning and you're thinking through this and you're saying, okay, well, if what the Bible says about Jesus is true and he could get up on a boat when there is a huge storm and he could just give a few words and everything could just be silent, that has to mean something for you. If somebody could come to earth and do that kind of thing, that is relevant for all of us. And then we consider what else he did and all of the other amazing things that he had done, particularly when he went to the cross and he died, but then he came back alive and then he ascended. All of that has to mean something for every single person in this room and for every single person in the world. If we do not acknowledge these truths about Christ and believe in him and what he has done, then we will not be with him forever. But for the believer, we will be. But for the believer this morning, are your affections stirred when you gaze upon this Christ and see what he did and the amazing power that he had? Don't let this be one of the stories that you've heard over and over and over. Let it be a story that stokes in you affections for Christ. To draw your gaze and to lift your gaze high to Christ, to marvel over him. So may God help us all to marvel over what sort of man Christ truly is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We particularly focus on the authority of Christ over his creation. How with just a few words he could make a raging storm go perfectly calm. Lord, I pray that our gaze will be lifted to see Christ as this all-powerful sovereign king of the universe. Lord, I pray that every knee in this room would bow to him as their Savior as their sovereign King. we thank you for the demonstration of your power in this passage. We pray that you will stir our affections towards you as a result of a book Thank
0: of you for listening to this message by Brandon Dyer, Jesus. pastor of Windsor Christian Fellowship in Windsor, Maine. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge them or alter the contents in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our church online at www.windsorchristianfellowship.org. There, you'll find sermons and other information about our church. If you have a need or would like further information, call 242-0126 or email us at wcfmaine at gmail.com. Our mailing address is Windsor Christian Fellowship, 11 Reed Road, Windsor, Maine, 04363. Windsor Christian Fellowship exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ through the evangelization of unbelievers and the edification of believers so that all might be glad in God.